Hey, this is Nick Walters with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest. And what would our recordings of Webinar Wednesdays be without checking in with our legal team at the Bradley Law Firm in their cannabis group? Whit Steinecker and Hunter Robinson come back yet again and tell us more good information of things we have got to pay attention to as we are moving into more and more trepidation sometimes within the greater legal world of how to grow this legal crop. But just because we know it's legal doesn't mean everybody knows it's legal. And so that's what Hunter and Whit yet again give us great info on. Hey, this is Nick Walters with the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. Thank you for joining us again for another Wednesday webinar to uh, chat up more good information about what's going on uh, in the world of hemp. And as uh, we look forward to each third Wednesday of the month is our legal update with our friends at Bradley Arant. So we are glad to have Whit and Hunter here uh, yet again to give us some good updates. And uh, like we did last month, right? I happen to be in Nashville uh, where Hunter is. And so we decided to uh, join up and uh, be all in one spot again so that we could uh, do a little face-to-face visit as, as well as online distance. So all good, Whit, for us to jump in and go? Let's go. Okay, terrific. So I thought maybe one of the things we could talk about is the ongoing dialogue and conversation around Delta 8. I know a couple of months ago we talked about that. I know that several state legislatures uh, or general assemblies or however they choose to call themselves have met since during that time, and there have been some state law changes and things like that, too. So, Hunter, um, uh, what's that looking like? So, I can't remember exactly how long ago the Delta 8 update was, but even if it was just last month, um, there has been probably five or six more states that have taken steps to outlaw Delta 8, either informally, uh, quote unquote informally, or formally through a change in legislation or, or change in regulation, um, or or less formally, but still um, in a way that means you probably shouldn't sell your stuff there, kind of through policy guidance from their their regulatory agencies that say, um, that, say that Delta 8 is based on it being synthesized is uh, basically falls outside of the definition of industrial hemp and into the definition of marijuana or however that state defines it. Um, and that has been, uh, so a couple of the reasons we've been North Dakota, um, who else? Vermont, uh, several others. And so many of them are in the kind of the Western uh, marijuana friendly states, which is somewhat surprising. So, um, you know, it's kind of, you can't really, can't really guess which one's going to do it based on kind of how they are, have been, you know, kind of historically thought about marijuana so i mean it's kind of it's spreading pretty quickly well but you know i just i've just and just kind of pondered on that it may very well be that the marijuana industry folks are the ones that were pushing that because they don't want to allow somebody to do kind of a you know that's right a sneak around or a backdoor or something like that to be able to tap into some delta eight so it, it may be you know i know in my home state of mississippi one of the biggest advocates for making sure that casinos didn't expand were the casinos that were, sure, <laughs> that sure. were already there, right? <laughs> and so they had this 
weird coalition between the Mississippi Baptist Convention and the casinos that were both trying to keep them from expanding. So, I mean, maybe it's that kind of a thing. I mean, I'm not asking you to pontificate on I, something that I, may not be, but that'd be, I think I that's, guess. I think that's our, our general thought as well. And that's kind of something else is kind of, kind of looking at how this is going to go going forward. I mean, there's, there's some states that want to kind of outlaw this completely and, and the DEA with their interim final rule may go the same way at the federal level, but there's also some kind of a movement. Um, Michigan actually has some, a bill going through their house right now that is trying to push the Delta eight kind of into out of the hemp and into the marijuana world. So it is subject to all those same regulations as we right. sold at dispensaries. Um, and that would be a way, um, you know, and perhaps kind of a good middle ground uh, for the industry as this shakes out. But there's kind of states are taking different approaches. Well, don't you think, though, there's also maybe some, I don't know, general healthiness to the to the industry if this many states are paying attention to it, if they're watching what's going on? I mean, sometimes that cuts both ways, right? I, I get that. But, but instead of having to go and explain this is hemp and this is not marijuana and this is what this does. And we need to do these, you know, there's this learning curve, right? I mean, of so many of the state legislatures that had to kind of figure all of that out about what they were doing just to get it started. Now that they're tweaking things, maybe that's a sign that there are some policymakers that are paying a little bit more attention to the industry. Yeah, that's right. And this is, you know, kind of, a, I mean, as we talked about in our webinar discussing it, I mean, the Delta A thing is, is I mean, it's definitely people looking for something to do with CBD isolate, um, which makes sense. Um, but definitely, you know, especially from a, a unfriendly, potentially unfriendly legislature's perspective, it seems like you're trying to let people get high, which is what the farm right. bill was trying to avoid. Right. You know, so it's, I mean, you know, there's kind of a lot going on with it and it may become something where it's kind of, you know, there's Delta eight now, States out all that and moves to a different kind of isomer of, of uh, THC. Um, so it may kind of be whack-a-mole until the kind of federal government steps in and gives some guidance. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know cool. that, I mean, they've started working on the farm bill, the next farm bill already. So you can, you know, you better believe that that'll be something that they talk about. And I think it'll be ruled in. It'll be ruled in or ruled out. I mean, people either get comfortable with it um, and and make it clear the Delta Eight is okay, or um, we'll make sure that it's clear the Delta Eight is not okay. But I, I don't think you can expect this confusion to go on much past um, the next piece of national invention. But that very well may be you know eighteen months, two years away. So um, you know I think right now, and one you know the one thing I'd add to what Hunter said. I mean I think if you're in a state where the state has taken action on Delta Eight, I mean now you're in a pretty high risk um, if you're still using Delta 8, because now you've got local law enforcement, potentially using state law, but also like the federal, the federal government's basically stayed out of the way of even the, the marijuana operation as long as it was state legal. But whenever it was violating state law, then, you know, sort of all bets are off. And remember, when we're talking about Delta 8, we're talking about some of the DEA thinks may be marijuana. We're talking about criminality, we're talking about windbreakers and knocks on the door, not 15-day cease and desist letters. So, you know, it's it's real. It's a real thing. You gotta, you know, you have to understand the consequences when you make your decision about what you're gonna do and when you, you know, when you hopefully you're talking to lawyers and trying to get yourself as comfortable as you can be. But I think in these states where um, the state has taken action, you're at a really heightened risk if you're operating that way. And I think if you're in a place where it's people don't. Where, where, where the state hasn't taken action, 
but you're selling the stage and you're selling across state lines, you're, you know, fulfilling orders uh, online, maybe, um, you know, you really need to be up to speed on what other states are doing if you're putting the product into that state. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the sands are shifting like incredibly quickly, um, even for kind of the cannabis space on this. So if you are, yeah, I mean, if you're selling interstate, you have to have some sort of process in place and, and you really should be doing it with your lawyer to kind of figure out kind of real quickly when a state law changes and have kind of mechanisms in place to, to clear that out and to kind of cut that cut, cut off the spot of that state pretty quickly. Um, and I mean, I, we can expect the dominoes to continue to fall. I mean, I think there will be states that either don't say anything about Delta eight or maybe just say that it's okay. Um, but there'll be more states that outlaw it in some way, shape or form mm-hmm. over the next few months. So you just, you got to keep your heads up for that. Mm-hmm. And are you finding that most of that, is it legislative or is it policy? Does some just go stroke of a pen? We're not doing it. Or I mean, I think it's, Wit may disagree. Well, it's, I mean, it's certainly a lot of policy guidance right now from state regulators, but that is, I mean, likely just a, um, you know, pragmatic. You know, it takes a while for a bill to get through, but they can have their, you know, basically the state DEA, whatever each state calls it, right. kind of issue some policy guidance, scare some people off, and then kind of cinch up the legislation later. So um, I think that there'll probably be some legislation to follow um, for the states that have just done policy guidance so far. Interesting. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, well, that's cool to look into. You know, one of the things that we um, think about are the end-use products that are being made from hemp, right? Whether it's grain and fiber, the things that we kind of focus on, or certainly plenty of our growers and other people that are are interested in in what has been with CBD and other parts of that. So um, can you trademark a hemp company? Is that a doable thing to trademark a company as compared to a product itself? I guess you could do a product, but how do you know? Yeah. So maybe. Um, it's about as definitive as we can get right now. Um, there are <laughs> That's a good lawyer companies. answer, though. That's a real good lawyer answer, right? Hire a lawyer immediately. There is a, uh, uh, there are help taglines, logos, company names, product names that have been. Uh, registered, uh, granted, or federal registered, uh, registration for a trademark. Um, there are others uh, that have been denied. And so the real question is, you know, what do you do to increase the likelihood, excuse me, um, to increase the likelihood that you're going to get a, uh, your registration uh, put through? And the answer is, I don't really know. Kind of depends on the trademark examiner who gets your package. So, um, you know, we've got some examples. Uh, sometimes things, these things shoot straight through, and then sometimes uh, uh, there's problems. What we do know is when you apply for a federal trademark, you basically sit around and wait for like six to nine months, and then you get your answer. It's like, yes, yes, trade, you know, you're going to get your trademark soon, or more likely than not, in the hemp space, it's going to be there's some issue with it. And so, you know, the question is, um, you know, what's the issue with it? And is it something that can get past? So, um, uh, recently, there's been some, uh, well, Hunter, you want to hop in and uh, you know, talk about sort of, you know, some of the challenges that people have faced sort of recently with trademark type stuff. And I mean, in particular, um, you know, if it looks like it runs afoul of, you know, FDCA type rules, or it looks like they're doing it in ways that, you know, Delta A, for example, you know, what are the types of things that you, you know, you shouldn't be putting in a trademark application 
or shouldn't be describing your product if you're looking to get it to sale for Sure. So, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, the, 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 the hooks for kind of trademarks for anything that is illegal. And there's so much gray area around hemp right now. Um, and CBD in particular, Delta eight, all those things. I mean, you know, so the FDA has been pretty clear that you can't put CBD in a food or beverage. You can't put it in a diet. You can't market it as a dietary supplement. Everybody still does. I mean, that's kind of, it is what it is at this point, but the, the trademark organization or the trademark office is still going to say, you know, Hey, you know, I'm not, you can't do, you know, can of Bud Light. Like that's obviously CBD in the drink. Like I'm not, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't trademark that. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, some of the, and we may be able to speak to this a little bit more, but um, you know, the, the things that aren't, the less controversial uses for hemp, you know, maybe you have a hemp fiber product or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there's really no no indication from the federal government, and it, it, it seems to be pretty clear under the farm bill that that is legal. Um, so you know, you can you can trademark that, but that's kind of you know, the CBD and the Delta Eight; those are all the products with kind of the, the catchy brand names and the catchy logos and whatnot. And that's kind of where you really need trademark protection. Um, as you know, when you have something that kind of pops off the shelf and you don't want anybody to steal your idea. So, um, that kind of stuff, I mean, there, there may be some strategies to do it, but that's mostly going to have to have to wait. But if I called my hemp car, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just said, Hey, I've got this car and it's made out of hemp and it's made out of fiber and I'm going to call it hemp car. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's the kind of thing. It may not be controversial, but it may also be like, Dude, you can't just call yourself him car. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean that's, that's not what you're you have to call it super cool, you know, yeah. auto, you know, mobile or whatever, but you can't. Yeah, I mean, and that goes back into just kind of the general trademark deals of uh you know how specific and how unique the brand is. Um, so that at least gets you out of the sketchy hemp space and into just kind of the general considerations of the trademark, which is uh, an easier place to be. Do you have a feel if the trademark office is like extra watching hemp things because they're not sure that the FDA is given their it's not just FDA is gonna is gonna pop you if you are making these claims that aren't backed up or verified or allowable. So that's kind of a so if I had did hemp grow hair. Yeah, which I'd like some, by the way. I mean, if, if they if they if they ever do that, I'm signing up. But if they come up with hemp grooms hair, as with straight through, hair, then you know you got a bunch of problems there, right? Sure. I mean, not only on the claim, but maybe even on the on the trademark. So that gets into the kind of enforcement discretion where versus what is legal and what is not. I mean, the FDA has been pretty clear that there are you cannot market hemp, uh, CBD as a dietary supplement. But they're using their enforcement discretion to say, we're only going to pop you for that if you were saying, hey, this is a dietary supplement and also will help with male pattern baldness or whatever, you know, kind of classic, um, you know, uh, disease treatments. I can't remember the exact definition offhand, but kind of, you know, it's, it's there to fit, diagnose or, or help a specific um, kind of ailment. Uh, but for the trademarks office perspective, is they just see that it's a dietary supplement, they don't have to. I mean, they're not, they're probably going to be, I mean, it's easier for them to just say no. Right. They don't, they don't need to do the enforcement discretion there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. It sounds like you almost have to disclaim any sort of conceivably illegal use. It sounds like where the trademark office is going to assume you are using the wrong. So 
you know, you gotta, you can't, you can't have anything that sounds like it's a food, even if it's not a food. You know, you kind of got to put in there that you're not using it as a food. And you know, a good trademark lawyer can explain, you know, how to describe your good and service. Now, that also means that it won't have protection as a food, but you know, it wasn't going to get that anyway. So, and it may be that once FDA loosens up, you know, you'll have priority, um, and you'll be using your mark in commerce. You'll have established it. And so when you can get a trademark on that kind of stuff, you'll be best positioned. In fact, I think, um, you know, what, what I suspect is happening is a bunch of marijuana companies are using hemp trademarks as sort of a bit of a placeholder um, and trying to get hemp trademarks and trying to use those in commerce such that if there is a federal loosening of the marijuana laws, you're going to see marijuana companies trying to use these marks that originally were for hemp companies. And you'll probably see some litigation uh, over sort of how legitimate that is and, you know, what the consequences were and, you know, will they be put into the same category of use such that you can essentially just start using it uh, for something slightly different, but still essentially the same. So it's really kind of a hot area. I mean, it's a, it's not something that a lot of people think about about an IP lawyer, you know, it's probably not something you get all that deep into the weeds on, but um, it's pretty interesting. And, um, it's clearly caused uh, a great deal of confusion up in DC because some of these are sailing right through and some of them are getting kicked back and, you know, having a really hard time with it. Well, I tell you, I'm not generally afraid of government paperwork just because I've done a good bit of it and, you know, things like that, but, but it's just like my taxes. I'd never do all that without a CPA. I, I really don't know why in the Sam Hill, I would think I would want to take on the trademark office without trademark attorney that would be able to guide me through all of that to know what's right or wrong to be able to do. And that's not a total setup or a kiss up. I'm just saying, you know, it, it just seems like that would be a very good use of your funds <laughs> and sure. your budget to know that you've got that. And that's something, I mean, and it can get, it can certainly get complicated, especially if a trademark is challenged, but to get a lawyer to, to put the application together and get it submitted and kind of do a little bit of correspondence back and forth with the trademark office is, is not super expensive. Um, again, I mean, you get in any sort of dispute, it can skyrocket, but that's something that is, is not going to take a, a ton of an IP lawyer's time. And it's, I mean, just, I mean, you don't want to submit that application, let it sit for six months and get it denied. And then right. you're just back to square one. Gracious. And do they, do, are, is, is, do you know that if they did have a problem with it, is their history just to go denied, send it back? Or is it, um, look, you need to go fix paragraph six over here and you need to shore this up because this is not the kind yeah, of counsel that an attorney of, would give you. But if you were trying to do it on your own, you, you'd hire a lawyer then. And maybe you wouldn't have gotten into that dispute if you would have hired us first. Right, yeah. right, right. But that yeah. is, I mean, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah it definitely, it, it definitely depends. If it's, if it's something you can easily fix, you know, a lot of times we'll say, just clean this up. If nothing that's more substantive then a lot of times, you know, you've got to really dig in. Um, Boy, that, you know, it just strikes me as one of those sort of like setting up a corporation, just penny wise, pound foolish. I mean, it doesn't cost nearly as much if you have a lawyer that you trust to, to do it right. Um, the filing fees at the federal trademark office probably cost more than the legal fees to get it on file and to yeah. do it right. And so, um, and, and if it gets rejected, then, I mean, you can always just stop, you know, you know it's a little bit of a sunk cost if you're don't have to pay for lawyers to challenge and just say, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to pay any more money. And that's fine. You could just basically surrender. Um, 
But he's, I, I would say it's almost hopeless if you don't have a lawyer and you're trying to mount a challenge against the trademark office and then trademark examining attorney who's going to know all the laws and he's going to expect your response to, to be really well steeped in the legal arguments. There you go. Interesting. Well, you talk about you you were you were talking about getting something started and just like you would in forming a a business or forming a new corporation, one of those things that every new corporation has to have, right, are, are um, uh, money. And I've never met one that didn't need money or want money, including the National Hemp Growers Cooperative from time to time. So um, what about raising capital? I know you guys do a lot of business transactions. You do a lot of banking things. We talked about banking last, uh, last uh, webinar together. Um, what different ways are you seeing in the whole just cannabis industry that folks are really using to, to, to borrow money or to finance their projects? Hunter, you want to real quick just remind people why it's usually not as easy as going and doing bank financing or, you know, just take out a, a loan from the bank. I mean, first of all, one of those reasons might be you don't have any assets. They don't believe you're going to pay it back. Um, you know, your sort of traditional reasons why a bank wouldn't give you money. But there are some additional reasons in the hemp space, infuriatingly, given its legality that that exists. And you know, Hunter, just I know we've talked about it before. For anybody who hasn't heard it, it's probably worth mentioning again. Sure. So, I mean, the, the reason that the, the, the answer to that question is going to be kind of, you know, private raises and, and giving away equity is because banks will generally not lend. Very few banks will lend to any marijuana companies. And, and the universe that will lend to hemp companies is unfortunately not that much bigger because uh, proceeds from legal activity and the anti-money laundering laws. So when a dispensary is legally selling marijuana to, you know, just Joe Blow off the street in Denver, they get that 60 bucks. Um, that is that was from the sale of a controlled substance under federal law. That is the trigger for all the anti-money laundering statutes, and it triggers kind of big trouble for banks. Um, there's all sort of, that's another area that the federal government has exercised is enforcement discretion. But banks, um, when I'm not working with cannabis companies, I'm normally working with banks. So I, they're, I mean, generally one of the most risk averse industries and they generally also make a good bit of money. So they just, it's not worth kind of the type of existential risk um, or even if not existential, just kind of big reputational risk and, and kind of big OCC fine type risk to make a little bit of extra money off banking hemp. And I mean, and that's something that is changing. You know, I think if we have this webinar in two years, we're probably talking a lot more about how you work with banks rather than how you kind of round up a group, an investor group. Um, but right now that's, that's kind of the lay of the land. I mean, yeah. you can get a little bit from a bank on some things, but it's going to be pretty onerous terms and you're going to have to probably walk into the front door of a lot of them until you find one that'll do business with you. Well, and isn't it also is, is depending on what your end product and use is. Right of what you're doing, like you know, we're right in the middle of of getting uh, our raise together on our um, renewable natural gas facility that we're in the process of doing. And so, who cares and wants RNG on the back end? Right, that's kind of where our space is of where we're going and spending our time to be able to talk to that investment community that either want the tax credits or just for yeah. a myriad of reasons. So focusing your energy and effort that way, I guess, as the private raise or something along that equity raise is, is something that you obviously have to keep in mind. If I just 
want to open up a, you know, hemp clothing store, mm-hmm. I probably have another whole, I probably have another whole set of hurdles to go through just because you fight people who maybe don't know as much about retail or they may love hemp or they may love the fiber. They may love all the rest of that. You just have to really think about who would care about how that would, how you would invest. Sure. I think with the banks too, I mean, the the first step is just, I mean, anything, if you have any sort of even tangential connection to hemp, the answer is just no, because they have to have some sort of kind of internal compliance team to deal with that. Um, once you get to the banks that are willing to to play in the hemp industry, that's when your considerations come in. So maybe if you're just yeah. kind of a CBD retailer, they say no. But if you're a hemp clothing line, sure. Yeah, because but you're going to have to show them the market and the this and why it all matters. And the, yeah, and that just gets into kind of the traditional banking concerns, like Witt said. But um, yeah, if you get in the door, kind of a little bit groups. Yeah, and there are groups that are not banks that'll lend, um, but it's basically hard money lending. I mean, you know, mid teens. On the um, on the interest rates um, that are basically just taking you're paying the risk premium. Um, they definitely operate in the marijuana space, but they'll operate in the, the hemp space. So maybe maybe slightly less than mid teens for that, but they're still you know they're just going to take advantage sort of basically an arbitrage. Um, you know it's better than giving up equity, but it's you know not as good as getting the bank loan. Uh, maybe to some people you know some people have more equity to give up and. You know, that presents its own issues and, you know, its own securities issues. And, you know, if you're going to be doing any of this, this is where you really have to do a lawyer because getting into securities offerings, um, probably if you don't know what you're talking about, you won't even know that you're offering securities. And the next thing you know, you're dealing with state or federal securities officials. And that can be really problematic and really sticky and very technical and well-intentioned people can run afoul of it. So, you know... Raising capital through a securities offering is a very uh, traditional and oftentimes smart way to go about raising money, but you've got to consult with a lawyer and you've got to be prepared to spend probably more money than you think. Probably also want to raise more money than you think too, partly because you got to pay all the people who help you raise it, but also because you always need more than you think um, and you don't want to do it more than you have to do it. No doubt. Hey, I see Michael's got a question here, but I can't see the question. <laughs> this laptop's too small and I can't get that close. Can you see it, Witt or Hunter? Can y'all take a I got it that? up now. Okay, go ahead. So I think, I don't know if that could be solved. I mean, I think that the- I'll Repeat the question. I'm sorry. The so so do you, people, right? do you think the Delta 8 issue could be solved if there was better definitions of intoxicating, psychotropic, and psychoactive. If we say Delta-9 is illegal because it is intoxicating, can we say Delta-8 is legal because it is psychoactive, i.e. lesser in intensity, but not intoxicating? I'm not aware of anyone comparing Delta-8 to Delta-9 in terms of the intensity of the high one gets. Um, I think that last sentence is definitely true. I think that is kind of the the messaging concerns, but I think um, we are... I mean, kind of with the pace of the way that marijuana legalization is going, by the time you fix the messaging enough to get Delta 8 through, there's probably a good chance that that, that federal law is, is kind of already let just Delta 9 be fine as well. And then you still just get down to a state-by-state state issue. I think this is more um, people not understanding it, lack of regulation, um, and, and really kind of the statutory hook the language that's in the statute that gets it is the synthetics or derivatives of hemp. 
um, kind of the, the, the theory that Delta 8 le is legal is that you have to have biomass, then you get CBD isolate, and that's legal. Nobody thinks otherwise there. You can market it in the wrong way, but and then you derive it from that. So you still just got a straight line of derivatives from hemp biomass that is legal under the farm bill. Um, but where the, the states are seizing on it is that that's kind of synthetics or derivatives thereof. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's an interpretive issue. And that's going to be, you know, and however the legislature wants to set it up, they're going to do it. So you're going to get the a lot of kind of marijuana legal states. They're going to want to keep it away to kind of help their established marijuana businesses. You're going to have kind of the deep south and kind of Midwest type kind of, you know, socially conservative states that kind of don't want to do it for that. They just don't like psychoactive. And I, you know, they probably won't care that much about the distinction kind of what you're trying to draw there. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a messaging concern, but I think that the education on that's going to take a while for kind of the people that, that, that kind of need to hear that message. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think helps on the way from Congress either. I really don't. I, I think the if they're going to act in a positive way, I think it's going to be more of an overall loosening of cannabis generally than keeping a, a tight lid on cannabis, but somehow expanding Delta eight. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that lawmakers in the aggregate are going to feel like that's a compelling way to go. Even though I think you know, I, I think people in the hemp industry, particularly responsible people smart people who have the data could probably make compelling arguments for why we should have Delta-8, at least in some form, um, and why it should be legal along with um, other forms of hemp. I just, uh, my gut tells me that that's not how Congress is going to go. Sure. I mean, it's the dollar and cents thing is kind of what's really driving the shift in, in kind of the legislatures um, on that end. So, I mean, for them to kind of kind of walk out on a plank for way less kind of overall tax revenue. It just, the, the incentive doesn't really line up that way. I mean, I do think you could see and kind of the way I'm hoping it all shakes out is kind of Delta 8 and Delta 9 are all kind of swept together. It's like, okay, you can do all this is fine. It's just now it's regulated and this is how you do it. This is what's scaring people is that people really just kind of figured this thing out like a year ago. Nobody knows anything about it, especially kind of elected politicians that have, you know, a lot of other things on their mind and may just be kind of apprehensive about this in general. Or they think it's an end run it, and it, you're doing this and it really kind of is it's, an end it's, run. It's, and some of the people are doing it as an end run, but there right. are like, I mean, there are good medicinal benefits. You know, you kind of see the, 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 the kind of good marketing around it is this is something if you kind of need that anxiety relief for marijuana, but this is something that's a little less psychoactive. You could maybe do it a little bit more on a day-to-day -day basis and, and not kind of really be, be high. Um, so there's uses for it, but it's just, I mean, that's kind of a tough sell, especially kind of the way it came up too. I mean, I know even before I'd really thought about the legality of Delta 8, I was seeing it in kind of convenience stores and, and you know, kind of, and kind of, and not in the great packaging, that kind of thing. So, I mean, and that's scaring the hell out of all the politicians. I mean, right. Right. If you can get it, I mean, one test is if you can get it at a gas station and it's cheap and it gets you, you know, has any sort of mind altering effects, I think that scares a lot of the people that matter in terms of policymaking. We saw that with Spice and K2. I'm not comparing the, the things. I mean, they're no, right. different. For those outside the industry, uh, it looks the and, same. Yeah. And, and, and it's unregulated in a pretty meaningful way. Um, and that's not to say we necessarily need more regulation of the industry, but it's not hard for people to paint a really negative picture of this. And to be perfectly candid, I don't think a lot of the people who are um, selling Delta-8 are doing themselves any favors uh, on that front. 
Um, but you know, look, everybody's got to make a living, and you know, people are making their own decisions on it. And and, and I'm, I'm not here to tell people they shouldn't, but uh, it does make it it does it doesn't make the job easier of people who are trying to sell a credibility message. Um, you know, when people are selling names that sound like you know it, it would go after younger people or you know, you got a bunch of people buying, you know, cheap stuff that nobody knows what's in it. Exactly. But they're kind of spoiling the stew for the rest of us in some in some spots, quite frankly, just mm -hmm. as far as the industry is concerned. And I think that's and I just, well, the last, last thing I would say, I mean, to, to Michael's question, I mean, I don't think anybody credibly is saying the high that you get from Delta 8 and Delta 9 are the same intensity. But I mean, some of the marketing, I mean, absolutely is not looking to make a distinction, right? I mean, <laughs> and, uh, again, maybe that's not good marketing, and maybe that's not responsible marketing, but, you know, absolutely people are trying, or at least trying to, you know, allow people to believe that. And so, you know, it's those types of things that, again, I, I don't think they're doing the, the industry as a whole any favors, but, um, you know, Michael, I think that's a, I think that's a good idea. I don't think that's how it's going to go. I don't think that's how it's going to happen. But I mean, as usual, and you've asked questions before, I mean, I think you, you put your finger right on it. And, and um, you know, if, if we had a bunch of common sense people like you, you know, running the policy shop up in Congress, you know, we probably have a lot more common sense rules. About that, we're going to just start calling this the Wednesday Michael Show. Okay, that would be, that would be, that would be it keeps us from getting uh, uh, bored of talking to each other, right, all, all the time. We'll need a lot of appearance at some point over the next couple months. That's right. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, guys, anything else that you can think of uh, that you want to round out with or something else to chat about? No? We good? Got to save something for next month. You well, that's exactly. Well, there's always going to be something <laughs> on the legal end for next month, right? No, we don't know. Yeah, no we can't tell you what it is right now, maybe, but it, there'll be something, mm -hmm. right? We know something's coming. So those are always good things to think about because there's so many different components to the to this industry, which is makes it interesting and uh, yeah. certainly doesn't keep it boring. Well, terrific. Well, we hope uh, everyone enjoyed um, this particular um, uh session this this uh addition whatever it is you'd like to call that of our of our ongoing uh, webinar uh times on wednesday a couple of programming notes uh for those of you who might be watching this sooner than later that we have our second um national hemp growers cooperative 101 how our co-op works and and what the structure is around that uh, we're having our second one this saturday morning we did one last week in the evening, uh, and also we're doing this one on a Saturday morning with an idea that some of our folks are are not able to break away in the middle of the day. So if you can go back to our webpage and sign up for that, you do have to register for it, <clears throat> but uh, it lasts about, oh, 30, 40 minutes, something like that for us to kind of go through what's happening within the co-op. So um, we also uh, are ready to, um, for next week, uh, we will have Eric McKee on, who is the founder of the U.S. Hemp uh, Building Association. So USHBA, as they like to call it. And USHBA has all kinds of things that they're about the business of doing. So every time you think of, hear about everything from hempcrete to, you know, other products are being made there. I mean, they're folks making entire houses, you know, out of hemp now. And so Eric has got his finger on all of that, and uh, it'll be a real fascinating discussion, I think. So 
Hopefully you'll join us next week as well. And then uh, be watching as well. We uh, plan on having our June uh, lineup done. Uh, we had one close that had to rearrange, so we're not exactly sure uh, uh, how all that schedule is going to look. But but hang tough. I know the folks from the Hemp Innovation Challenge are going to be on in uh, the, the second week of, of, of uh, June. And you talk about some far out ideas. These cats have got some far out ideas about the stuff you can do with hemp. So uh, it'll be entertaining if nothing else, I can promise you from part of that. So as always, we appreciate um, uh, you, Hunter and Whit uh, uh, here at Bradley Arant and giving good counsel and helping the industry along. So until next time, thanks. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.